Welcome to the Ordinary Youth Ministry Podcast, where we are cultivating conversations about our world that help us impart a joyful and enduring face to your faith to your teenagers. Uh, as always, your hosts are me, Andrew Unger, John Mark Smith, and Ellen Vosberg. And this week, we are going to be diving into a a Wired article, a list of gifts that teens actually want. And we'll explain more why we're talking about gifts for teenagers in a minute. Um, but first, as our icebreaker, let's uh, let's go around the circle and hear what is one of your most memorable or favorite gifts you've ever received. Let's start. John Mark, what's, what's your favorite gift you've ever gotten? Yeah, well, um, there's an easy one for me because this year for Christmas, Carissa, my wife, gave me a painting that I love. And when you look at the painting from a distance, you think, oh, this is just a, a, a kind of beautiful, like tree covered mountainside in, in the mist. And you're like, this is cool. It's beautiful. And then you get closer and you realize that it's actually the forest moon of Endor that you, there is a oh. landing station with a Lambda shuttle taking off. And in the very distant sky is the death star. That is and terrific. And it, and got, she framed it for me. So I got this big frame and it's just, sits behind my desk. If I was at my home office, you would actually be able to see it behind me. I'm at church right now. So you need to take a picture of that so we can include it in the show notes or something, because that's a pretty excellent, oh, Sure, that is an excellent Amazing. gift. Okay. How about you, Ellen? What's a, a memorable gift? Okay. So my sister-in-law Meredith is the best gift giver I've ever met in my entire life. Um, and I do think she is particularly good at finding gifts for me because we get along really well and have a lot in common. But one year for my birthday, several years ago, she surprised me with um, tickets to the musical that the like local high school was um, <laughs> performing that year. <laughs> And we were both living in the western suburbs of Chicago at the time. So it was a really big high school with a very well-funded, like, musical theater department. And they were performing the musical of Tuck Everlasting. And I was so excited and so surprised. And it was, like, so perfect. Like, I couldn't, it was the kind of gift where it's, like, I couldn't have asked for it. But, yes, that's exactly what I want. So that was probably the best. I feel like going to high school musicals is, like... A, a thing that you have to do in youth ministry, but a thing you have to do in youth ministry, not necessarily the thing that you are excited to do. Right. But when you're guys, we've all been to, when you're going to like the, I think the high school in Elmhurst was called like York high school. When you're going to their high school musical, though, <laughs> okay. Treat. Guys, I went to a musical this past week, a local CYT production of Les Mis. Okay. And I kid you not, uh, I was moved to tears. I laughed out loud. Like, they killed it. It was so good. Mm. And I had been driving over on the way, because Les Mis is my favorite musical of all time, and been like mentally preparing myself in case it was horrible. And I was discouraged. <laughs> and they did such a good job. I was like... And I walked out and turned to our girls, the discipleship coordinator, and said, it's a pretty good job when you get paid to watch that show. Yeah. (laughs) 
in in case any of my former students are listening, I have loved all of your musicals so much when I went. <laughs> just to be clear, uh, they were delightful, and they were I, legitimately. I don't think I've I've gone to a, a high school production and like not enjoyed it to some degree. Like they were never they were never bad. There was a point in ministry where I was going yearly to um, like elementary school Shakespearean productions, <laughs> which were actually a highlight. It, it was adorable. That is pretty good. Um, okay, so my my gift is uh, is one year. Uh, my brothers and I got the Super Nintendo, and that was like the highlight we were all really excited for it we got it from our grandparents and like so there's a gift addressed to all of us like all of our names were on it and my grandpa was a woodworker and he had made um so this is a pun for you canadians it was a little like coin bank but it was the shape of a loon and the canadian dollar is called a loony so it was a loony bin for all of us that was the the sort of pun um for all of our canadian listeners you'll get it uh <laughs> so but we knew that was coming. And so Tim and Jeremy, my brothers were like, no, Andrew, like that, that box is our Looney bins. Like that's what we're getting. That's not the Super Nintendo. And I was like, guys, I think it's the Super Nintendo. And I was right. And it was the best because it was both an excellent gift. And I was right. And my brothers were wrong. Take that. <laughs> <laughs> the best gift of, gift of all proving your siblings were wrong. <laughs> exactly. Between that and remembering the first time I ever beat them at Monopoly as like a 20-year-old, these are the important moments in a youngest sibling's life. <laughs> okay, so we uh, today we are talking about a Wired article. You can find the link in the show notes. Um, the, the title and subtitle are, These are the gifts teens actually want. Teenagers can be scary, but these adolescent-approved gifts are sweet. Um, so two reasons we're talking about this. One is uh, I have a firm, unyielding belief or an unyielding confidence in corporations and their ability to do enough research to know what teenagers will buy. Uh, and I think Wired is not just putting together a list that like someone who's really insightful knows. I think they are following very obvious trends and picking that. Um, that's not necessarily a good thing, but all of their market research and their ability to find out what teenagers buy tells us what teenagers largely think will lead to a good life. Because at this point, every advertisement is trying to get you to believe that purchasing this product will make your life better um, and will will somehow lead you to a better uh, form of living. So uh, I think it's a an interesting insight into what teenagers desire. Um, but... Ellen, you've brought up a number of times the tone of the article, is, which is interesting. Um, so I don't know, as a maybe a prefatory note before we get into the list, um, what did you notice about the, the tone of this list? Well, it was right there in the subtitle, right? <laughs> teenagers can be scary. The opening sentence of this article is, teenagers are intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> later it says we informally pulled some of the crossed out terrifying teens in our lives um so yeah what I, what i immediately noted when you sent us this article was yeah the the fear of teens 
which is a common trope that adults fall into <laughs> for some reason. It's like, and, and I find it so bizarre, mostly because I do have an, an inherent love for teenagers. Um, but also, it, it, I, I, I find it, I find that it indicates, or at least I think it indicates, that adults forget that teenagers are human beings yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that they're somehow other or like this alien species and that they're scary to us which is really funny because i think that when you actually interact with teenagers on a regular basis you really like they're really just other human beings right. you could talk to them <laughs> like you do other human beings they have needs and desires and interests <laughs> like other human beings so yeah i i always find teen fear fear of teens uh to be both amusing and kind of upsetting yeah it makes me think um i, I once did a like two-week series talking about youth ministry to to our church and their like adult education and i use this metaphor um there's a tv show i can't remember the name anymore it's like almost human or something like that it was a I think it was a British show. Any case, it followed the lives of like a vampire, a werewolf, and some other like mythical cre- creature, and they all just living in like just living in London, trying to be people. Um, and and in the first episode, it was like the, <laughs> they worded it humorously. It was the werewolf's like time of the month, as in like he was about to have his full moon transformation moment. And so, in order to like like his friends set up there's like a safe room where they would just like lock him up for the night where he would just turn into a werewolf and like wreck everything but they like set up this system to like have him have his moment and i feel like that's what people think about adolescence as is like <laughs> this is when humans have their werewolf moment and we just need to figure out how to contain them so they do the least amount of damage and then afterwards <laughs> afterwards we'll be we'll be okay and so even the setup for this list yeah it has that like this is how to appease the the malevolent <laughs> deities like superhumans called teenagers to try and get them to not be so terrifying. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. John Mark, what did you think about the tone? <laughs> I agree with Ellen. Um, and it, it resonates with me. Like, I, like it, it, it's not good. And yet it makes perfect sense because the number one thing I have when I'm recruiting volunteers is I'll talk to people who I'm like, you are the most amazing person. I want to be around you. I think our students will benefit from being around you. And their response in not so many words is essentially, I'm not cool enough. You know, it's like as if, as if to interact with teenagers requires some kind of superhuman ability to transcend normal humanity and be awesome all the time and be super entertaining. And I, you know, they feel that way largely because most of those folks that say that grew up in cultures that perpetuated that myth intentionally. Yeah. Um, yes. So I really, uh, I really get it because, and I feel that way. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a youth pastor, 15 years of youth ministry experience. And there are times where I'm just like, am I cool enough for this room? <laughs> am I, am I interesting enough mm. to engage these students? Uh, and basically what I've learned now that I'm, I'm hitting my, you know, older years of youth ministry is, Oh, like it really is just better to be myself and like talk about the things I love and not care if it's cool because right. they'll be more interested in me if I'm being honest than if I'm trying to pretend that I watch, you know, manga or read manga and yeah. watch anime. Right. 
all the time because I don't. And all I can say is, isn't there a show called Brotherhood out there? And they're like, yeah. And then I have nothing else to say. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> That's so while we were, as we were kind of bouncing around ideas for this podcast initially, I sort of wanted our, our theme song to be the song Teenagers by My Chemical Romance, whose chorus starts off with teenagers scare the living heck out of me to make it podcast friendly to keep that explicit label off of our podcast um but what's funny is the background of that song is the the lead singer of my chemical romance was like on a subway or something and he saw a group of teenagers and for the first time he was like he was actually like nervous around this group of teenagers and this is this is like their second album they are still like riding high off of their success and he's very popular with teenagers but suddenly he was at an age where he's like oh no teenagers scare me now (laughs) And I just think, yeah, that is so funny, that myth, that perpetuated myth of scary teenagers, which, if we're honest, is some of the foundation of the existence of youth ministry as a thing. Like, mm-hmm. youth ministry exists right. because at some point we were we realized, like, there's this weird alien species called teenager that we got to work with. Right. I think that also it's interesting just to, to reflect on the fact that you know, we as a culture have kind of I created this identity of what cool is, quote unquote. Mm. And if you really start mm-hmm. to break that down, it coolness is a, dis, a detachment, a disengagement, a aloofness, like, and so, be, and that's not just true for teenagers. Like that is what it looks like to be quote unquote cool at any age. And so right. when a teenager is acting like a normal teenager, there's a certain filter that we go through instead of saying, oh, they're awkward or weird or (laughs) developmentally processing things instead of saying those things which are probably true most of the time we go oh they're really cool like they're Mm -hmm. they're they're you know because it's because all those normal developmental processes can lead to results that look like aloof detached disengaged and that reads like someone who's too cool for school and so i think that's a really interesting phenomena where what we've created as cool in our culture leads to misinterpreting young people um and so instead of being able to properly locate them as awkward in a good way dealing with transition um, and unsure of themselves we interpret as the other way and and sometimes there are students that are legitimately aloof distant and right (laughs) so you know then we can point them and be like see this is what's going on but that's not most of the students i know when they're being quiet and I I tell volunteers more often than not when things are weird and awkward it's them not you (laughs) (laughs) yes the true (laughs) I mean the sheer number of times I've set up like mentors with um confirmation students um who are typically like seventh eighth grade right and they'll and in in the past in confirmation processes I make them meet you know once a month for like three months as we're going through the classes and preparing so they have like three meetings and the point is just to give some space for the students to like ask questions or sort of process this this decision they're coming forward to and nine times out of ten when that cycle had finished the student was interested in continuing the mentoring relationships and ten out of ten times the adult would be like wait really because that was like the most painful hour they wouldn't say most painful but like I thought they nothing to me. Like I I, I did not imagine that they were enjoying that experience because seventh and eighth graders are especially awkward um and they probably just go home like you sit there and you talk with them one-on-one 
And you're like, man, they must have hated every moment of that. And they went home and went to their parents and like, it was, well, they, by seventh, eighth grade, they're like, oh, it was fine. Because they've, they've gotten their cool card and they need to pretend to not, they need to start pretending to be aloof. But, um, but yeah, like just that attention makes a huge difference. Right. Well, and teenagers, well, yeah, they're they're really interested in, like, all other people. Right. <laughs> uh, forming genuine friendships and relationships. And so when, when that's what you give them or offer to them, they're usually receptive, even when you can't right. tell that they are. <laughs> Caring always trumps cool. Yep. Yes. Yep, every time. Okay. So now we're going to care about what consumer products we need to buy these teenagers to appease them so they'll like us um did did anything on just, this list oh go for it i was just comment i was a little disappointed that this list did not include very much in the terms of what i would say nerd culture mm-hmm. you know like so i was a little mm-hmm. disappointed by that though to give credit i mean obviously you can use a uh, computer or um you know, your Nintendo Switch for nerdy things. Yes. But, um, you know, I was, I, 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 that was one thing that I was like, oh, I was disappointed. There weren't more like nerdy things, but it also made sense to me. Like you're trying to make a list for a generic student, not a specific student. So you got to find stuff that kind of goes across the spectrum. Yeah. So uh, it is interesting that like, in a post-smartphone era, technology that was at one point nerdy is now, like, mainstream and acceptable. So the Switch has sort of transcended your your gamer culture into mainline stuff. But it, it struck me, like, I mean, expectedly, there was smartphone-related stuff. So you've got, you've got earbuds, you've got speaker, you've got a phone case, you've got a, a pop socket in case they drop their phone, you've got the the selfie ring, um, an iPad, a lot of smartphone related things, which to me speaks to some of how, um, teenagers are, are primarily online. Like that is their main location. Um, they are first and foremost live in the placeless place of the internet. And so, um, so much of their interactions, um, center around that that smartphone and i feel like maybe 10 years ago sort of in a pre-smartphone age you'd you know they'd be like why are you kids so addicted to your phones and i hear that less and less i think as adults live more and more online (laughs) and so they can't exactly complain that their teenagers are doing the exact same thing they do um but i think especially as anglicans who care about sacraments and matter and and worshiping with our bodies and moving in space there's something about this transition towards primarily identifying in the like disembodied world that is um concerning in a way Mm -hmm. well what's interesting is that this list yes it it primarily focuses on the kind of products you're talking about, but then it abruptly, abruptly shifts to skincare. Right. (laughs) And these like, like I think there's stickers for hiding zits and then just some general like skincare products uh, that are kind of, you know, gender neutral and fun looking. Right. Um, 
although they're not Which for is hiding. very embodied. Yeah, they're for healing. But I imagine it, it's weird, but I imagine if so much of your interactions are FaceTime or are, mm. are like Zoom meetings, suddenly, suddenly skincare might be much more mainstream and acceptable um, and required um, for boys and girls alike. But don't, isn't that somewhat mitigated by the fact that just filters are such a huge thing? that you can get yeah. a filter to remove any acne anyway. So I wonder about that. I mean, they're still going to school together. I, I would imagine that the main purpose is still real life for skincare. That's probably true. Um, and I think there is, there's been a sort of push for boys to care about skincare a little bit more rather than being proactive, mm-hmm. rather than reactive about skincare, that that's a, that's a thing. Man, that just, do you guys remember when like metrosexual was a term that people described of like men who take care of themselves and like this was a, this was a weird thing. And now that just got like absorbed into normal adolescent life. And now like, well, yeah, of course you take care of yourself. And I think back up on my teenage, my teenage years of being just like a gross, greasy 17 year old (laughs) and like who didn't shower enough and like that doesn't seem to be a common feature anymore. Really? I wonder don't if think that's so? kind of a... I think that still exists. Maybe. I also wonder if it's a trickle down, maybe maybe in the people that it doesn't exist in anymore, maybe it's a trickle down from, um, like I think that um, just observing sort of my own uh, 20-something husband's <laughs> um, <laughs> life and the, the like things that he... Um, watches on like youtube um there was a period where he was like researching skincare (laughs) um and like getting into it and so i wonder if some of and it was like very much marketed and curated to appeal to the rest of his aesthetic as a young adult man um and so i sort of wonder if some of that is trickled down but yeah there is um Another thing that stuck out to me, like thinking about these things, it, and this isn't universally true, but they, they feel very like the kind of person, if you had someone who owned all of these things, right, you have someone who, you know, has a nice wallet, a nice backpack, Crocs for some reason have made a comeback, um, (laughs) which is unclear to me. They've got their, their water bottle, their they're, you know, environmentally conscious straw. Um, but all of it is still very like atomized. Like it, it's still the person who has all this is, is internally self-sufficient. Like maybe there's the headphones for gaming. So maybe you're, you're playing online games, but the person who has all this stuff, their experience is for the most part, very isolated like the none of these things are used with other people i guess the the um the sort of polaroid camera recreation thing um the instant camera thing maybe you would use that with friends but a lot of this is very like i have my backpack with all my technology and i go to a different place and i sort of exist as an isolated unit which i think is increasingly common um the the danger of the placeless place is that you're accessible at all times, but you also get to delay your text response 
however long you want. You're never forced to interact with the person directly in front of you. Um, you get to always exist on your own timeline, um, which I think is a deeply unhealthy way to be human, um, to be always accessible, but always controlling your own schedule. Um, always like choosing when you're going to respond to text messages and stuff like that. I don't know. Am, am I off? Is this, uh, am I reading too much into some of these things? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I think that you're not wrong about your analysis of people and youth culture. Um, but like, there's definitely some, this gift list is when you actually break down the numbers of it. I mean, the text stuff is about half. Yeah. Um, and of that text stuff, you know, you can like do a number of these things with other people. So, um, I don't know. I don't know I, how I feel of what about what it, at that point. Cause I think you're right, Andrew. I'm just not sure if this list is the definitive proof that that is the case. Um, right. you know, uh, I think it is interesting though, because it's the way you market it, you know, it's sort of like, um, makes a difference. So the backpack, you know, like kind of like the interpretation is, you know, they're not saying here's your new school backpack. Right. So, you know, you might have some point there. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure, Andrew. I'm not sure. Well, and I mean, I own a lot, I own a lot of the types of gadgets that are on, this list and I use them often to connect with other people and it's not always on my own terms either. (laughs) So I don't, while your, your description of technology and the way we interact with it is true. It's not the only, this is more just like one facet. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I am, as I, as I said in, in our, in our pre-show conversation, I'm making sweeping generalizations today without without any nuance or qualifiers, so that you you get what you get. Um, right. So if I'm going to go through the list real quick partner. and say, let's look at this real quick. The first thing is earbuds, which are absolutely a private thing because you're tuning out the world. Yeah. But then the next one is a speaker system that is something you could share music with when people are over, right? Then mm-hmm. the next one is a game system, uh, Switch, which can be done alone. I've seen I know a lot of students to get together with their friends and do it. So, you know, either way. Okay. Then you got the uh uh Instagram or the Instamax. An Instax. Uh, whatever it is. Instax. There we go. Thank you, Ellen. But it's like the recreation of an old time Polaroid photo. So, you know, that could go either way, I'd say too. Room decoration LED lights, I would not say are inherently a, a seclusion thing. Um you got the the pop socket for your pop grip on your phone um which is you know i i don't know if i can make the argument that's a necessarily private thing but then you do get then after that the snapchat ring light which is all about being alone Mm -hmm. you got your Mm -hmm. phone case which is just decoration for your thing that you can use either way you got your ipad again could go either way your laptop Val, and as they specifically mentioned for valedictorian, so presumably going off to college to do work. Your gamer headphones, I would say that's a, a private thing. Then you get to the makeup stuff. And then, interestingly, the Crocs, the wallet, backpack, water bottle for an athlete. That's how they are selling okay. that. Water bottles are, <laughs> are, disposable water bottles are not in style, it says. Just so this, you got to get this great hydro flask. And then it ends for the environmentally conscious. Get your get them a portable metal straw. 
Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I would say that this list is is an indication of what our students are interested in. I think that's fair. I'm not sure it's explicitly private. Like it can go yeah. either way. It could be used either way. A lot of it. Well, and really, those gamer headphones in their description, they talk about like uh, bellowing to their discourse discord pals so they see those headphones as a oh way that people communicate with other people yeah this so there's an interesting sentence in the um in the water bottle thing hydro flasks combine a couple of the biggest trends in teendom sustainability and sticker driven customization and it's so interesting to me that like okay the description of trends is interesting that like okay what's the What's the cool thing that the teens are into this time? Um, but sustainability as a trend and sticker-driven customization as a trend, um, it, which is funny because I feel like at, at one point, sustainability, thinking about thinking about sort of green stuff was about communal thinking. It was about sort of what's best for the earth, sort of, if anything, early ecological movements were about like, downplaying individuality in the self right because that's what drives um consumerism but now now you can be a consumer with your own brand and your own special bottle and be earth conscious so like isn't it cool you can have your own metal straw and like have it look really great and we can market it to you and we can sell you sustainability um as an individual as an individual right um and there's, there's a very fine line there between actually caring about the issue and and kind of being essentially posing as someone who cares because it's the trendy thing. And I think that, that when I saw that straw on the list, that's basically what I made me think about. It's like once we've reached the point where metal straws are the cool gift to give people, like <laughs> have we jumped the shark a little bit where it's like, are we doing this because it's a good decision for the environment? <laughs> Which... I've heard debatable things about how much of impact this even makes to start with, but let's say it makes a great impact, but I'm doing it because it's cool. And my friend down the street has one like there's, you know, it just, it is weird that the, the commercialization and, and commodification of, as you just said, Andrew, uh, you know, a, a environmental issue. So I'm reminded I was um, in my weekly rotation of, of albums. I put uh, the, the classic Macklemore and Ryan Lewis, the heist album, which is 10 years old now. And on it, so they have a song. I know um, the song called wings, which is all about Nike shoes and consumerism. There's a, so I looked at the lyrics. So one of the lines later in the song, look at me, look at me. I'm a cool kid. I'm an individual, but I'm part of a movement. My movement told me to be a consumer and I consumed it. They told me to just do it. I listened to the, what that swoosh said, Look at what that swoosh did. See, it consumed my th- thoughts. Are you stupid? Don't crease him. Just leave him in the box. And he like he keeps talking about, you know, we are what we wear. We wear what we are. But I look inside the mirror and think Phil Knight tricked us all, um, the CEO yeah. of Nike. But right, so he's that was the same album that had the the thrift store, the thrift shop song, um, which was again a, a critiquing of consumer materialism. And I think it's this is again where the capitalism goes undefeated in taking anything and finding a way to sell it to you um Mm. where like maybe the most ecological water bottle you can have is one that's already sitting in your house um 
because you probably have 20. Right. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's interesting to me because it, it does appeal to that thing that teenagers have, which is individuation and understanding who they are. And that's an important piece of becoming a, becoming a, a adult human is as an adolescent figuring that out. Um, but yeah, it's constantly sold to people and it's, it's hard in youth ministry to kind of say, Hey, <laughs> you're being, you're being sold on this. Like, how do we fight? This is maybe the bigger question is how do we train students growing up to like recognize consumer capitalism as a thing that will just eat away at their soul and turn them into people who buy things and identify with what they buy first and foremost. Um, which is what this list ultimately is, right? Like it's, here's not only the products that your teenagers want, but the brands that they're okay with identifying with. Um, right. And I think that's exactly the interesting thing is with this list, I was thinking about it and be like, is this list really going to help anyone? Because at the end of the day, these are not revolutionary things. It's about the specific brand or specific you know cool moment of this thing and so that means this article which was published um let's when was it published andrew november of last year yeah oh november of last year so it's already (laughs) risking being out of date you know like Mm -hmm. could i buy this thing and assume that it's still the cool thing i mean some of them think like switch is not going out of style immediately or or whatnot but now that my children are starting to get to middle school I'm realizing like how quickly, how quickly the cool thing comes and goes. And so in in some level, what I want to say is avoid this list because once you try and get on this train and you'll (laughs) never catch up, (laughs) like you'll never get there if you're trying to be with the cool thing. And at the end, it even has the cop out. It says, if you can't win the, the, uh, it's better to win the, lose the battle and give them a gift card than to lose the whole war. And I'm like, (laughs) You know, <laughs> if you don't know a student really well, I actually think I would go so far as to say it's a gift card can actually be a win of saying, hey, I want yeah. to bless you with the opportunity to get what you love. And I recognize that I don't have the insider info for my own children or people I know super well. Can I get them something they would like? Yes. But if I'm giving a gift um, this year for graduating seniors, we gave them a book because we're a church. We gave them <laughs> N.T. Wright's Simply Christian. Let's go. But then I said, I'm also... I'm also giving them a gift card so they can go get what they want. So they got a book and a gift card. And it was sort of like, I can't pretend to find a cool thing that you'll like. So I'm going to give you something of substance. And then I'm going to give you something that lets you get something that you would want. I think one way we kind of counter this culture in not just in youth ministry, but in church ministry in general is by not or, or at least attempting to resist, um, like selling, selling Jesus, selling faith, like, like falling into that same kind of like, well, we also have to be marketers. We're just like marketers for Christ. Yes. Um, like falling into that same tendency, which can make ministry hard because I think Mm -hmm. when we resist that, um, like it is true that it's much harder to like get people to attend stuff, keep their attention, um, like, like make them feel like they're having fun. Um, but I do think that's an important aspect of, of what we do. Um, is that like 
um, yeah, Jesus isn't something to buy. Um, the kingdom is not for sale. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and it ultimately demands much more of you than like what you can buy. And I, like, uh, like obviously the kingdom has demands on our money, but you like, <laughs> right. <laughs> the cost is even higher. And I think there's actually something to, um, I, I think teenagers are uniquely, especially after spending a year or several years, um, being very online. Um, I kept on thinking about the, all of our, everybody's time in quarantine, like, like we're all doing zoom meetings, we're all doing virtual stuff. And it's like the sort of the kid who is smoking a cigarette and their parent makes, makes them smoke the whole pack. Like, Oh, you wanted to live digitally. Now you're only going to live digitally. Um, and I feel like students are uniquely poised right now to see how shallow that well is to, to recognize how, um, ultimately the, the sort of sugar water of instant dopamine hits is, is not fulfilling. Um, drinking from a deeper well requires more of you and it's slower going, but the only way you're going to come to the point as a human where you recognize, Oh, I like, I need something that is more sustainable, more long-term. The only way to get to that point is to recognize that the sugar water isn't good. It isn't fulfilling. Um, because I mean, you want to say like, come taste and see that Jesus is good. Um, and sometimes there are quick responses to that, but some of the way that you taste that Jesus is good and, and see that it's, that it's fulfilling is to spend a lot of time on it. And frequently we feel like we don't have that because we got to make the quick sale. But I, I wonder how much, like in terms of youth ministry, not just modeling it, not selling Jesus, maybe even being vulnerable and open about how we're tempted and drawn in by consumer materialism. But if there's something about like giving them space to reflect on and realize how how empty the the dopamine hit cycle actually is. Mm. But then some of them don't yeah. buy it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, right. I mean, narrows the path and few find it. Right. But that's your job as a youth pastor is to make them find it, right? <laughs> it's all up to us. We got to do it. <laughs> if they if they oh, walk no. away, what are we doing? Listener, that yeah. is not true. <laughs> <laughs> and yet I think like, you know, we're critical of all this. And yet many of these things like are still good. Like you almost come back around the other way and like, yeah, I have a switch because it's fun. And like, I have a smartphone and I have an iPad. Like I have many of these things. Um, there are, mm -hmm. Crocs are really comfortable. Like there's, <laughs> it's not bad that you're having nice things. There's nothing on this list that's morally questionable. Like, oh, right. you should not have right. that thing. The, the interesting thing is just how they speak to a larger cultural reality of where we are at and what our students are wanting. But like any one of these things is fine. All of them need to exist in within the parameters of a healthy boundary in life. But any one of them is great. And so if you are a person who really has no idea what young people want, I think this list probably is helpful of like, okay, yeah. yeah. Thinking this <laughs> way, this is better than giving your students, you know, a, 
when a Christian t-shirt that's knocking off some secular thing <laughs> that just changes the lyric, the words. You know, this is better. Jesus Please secured my space in heaven. <laughs> Can you still buy those shirts? Yeah. I, yes. 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 100%. Wow. You can buy them. We'll find a link somewhere. That's great. But, put them um, in the show at notes. At the same time, yeah, like... Well, I should say, I think this list can be helpful, but I would not recommend this list as something you could just go to and say, okay, because it's on this list, this is the good thing to get. And I think it's probably true. I mean, we're we're using this as a launching off point. This list is probably not, doesn't carry the explanatory power that we're maybe giving it in this episode. But <laughs> but yeah, I, I I've enjoyed this conversation and trying to think through what it, what it tells us about teenagers and, and how we minister to them. Um, so maybe let's transition. What is everybody's takeaways? John Mark, what is your big takeaway from this list, from our conversation, from where we are here? I think my biggest takeaway is actually at going to Ellen's point, which is don't be afraid. Hmm. Hmm. You know, um, if you are the kind of person that cares enough to ask, what will young people like? Then fear is not going to help you. The people who need to be afraid are the ones that don't care to ask what young people will like. And they just give them what they think they should like um, or what they themselves like. So, so don't be afraid, you know, is a good takeaway to me. And I would say, um, uh, as we, consider young people today what we want to do is encourage them to be in contexts where they can use all these different gifts but in a in a healthy way and so that starts with our own homes and our own families and, and creating healthy boundaries and for anyone who's well i'm sure we'll eventually do a podcast about this sort of stuff but there's a lot of great resources out there to help families know how to um, create healthy boundaries around things like ipads and you know, phones and whatnot, because the answer to me is never don't have that, take it away. It's evil. It's bad. Hmm. Um, but we do need healthy resources to create boundaries and students want boundaries. So, um, I, 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 I had to, <laughs> how about you, Ellen? Yeah, I think my takeaway, um, yeah, is that it, it like sort of taking a, a look at rampant consumerism. Um, it does remind me and and maybe spur me on to um, yeah continue to think about what it means to do ministry, youth ministry, um, specifically in church ministry in general, in a way that battles like this impulse um, that like this is an important aspect of discipleship. Um, and yeah, as the church, we need to continue to lean into it, even even though we we have been cultivated to, uh, yeah, consume, consume, consume ourselves. So yeah, it's important to keep fighting it. Well, I think kind of borrowing off of some of what John Mark you were saying about like, rather than saying this is just bad and and get rid of it, it's always easier to be like these are the bad things, these are the good things, but this. <laughs> this is a list of various meat that has that is sacrificed to the idol of consumerism and the question is like how are these being used and that discipling students actually means not just the the easy 
this is the right thing, this is the wrong thing, but actually thinking about how are you mm-hmm. using things, what is what is coming out of your heart, how are you formed to love what is good, and how are these things helping or hurting you um, in loving God and loving your neighbor. Um, mm-hmm. So re- almost like <laughs> refusing easy answers to a lot of things because it's discipleship is hard work and it's investigatory work to understand not just like how to get our kids to not drink and do drugs, but like how to get them to, to love their neighbor well and allow the gospel to permeate and affect all of their habits, um, including and especially how they look at buying things and how they look at how they use their money and how they look at how they think about the stuff they have. Um, so, amen. Yeah. Well, as always, everybody, thank you for tuning in. If you ever have any ideas or articles that you want us to discuss or topics, please reach out to us. You can find our podcast online at ordinaryyouthministry.com. We're on Twitter at ordinarycast, and you can email us at uh, ordinaryyouthministry at gmail.com. We hope this conversation has helped you impart a joyful and enduring faith to your teenagers. We will see you next time.